You're listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Brought to you in association with OvertimeIreland.com. Now, here's the OTI guys. Hey guys, you're very welcome along to episode 67 of the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Brought to you in association with OvertimeIreland.com. As always, we have a very packed show for you coming up today. Yeah, DJ Packed, as always, we mentioned last week. This week's guest is J.J. Burden, former NFL wide receiver, played with the Kansas City Chiefs for the majority of his career, played along with a few other teams, and we're going to talk a little bit about playing the position with him today. A lot of interesting insight from J.J. and talking about many of his experiences in the league, so looking forward to sharing that with the listeners coming up very shortly in the OTI Red Zone. Also on today's show, DJ, we always plug our guys at Last Word on Sport, and today we're going to have on one of their featured writers, does the cost of winning column, kind of focusing on the business side of the game, over there on lastwordonsport.com. So we're going to be talking to Rob Mitchell, and he writes for them over there. So some interesting points as well with Rob, we're going to be kind of discussing some of the contracts signed over the last week and that with him. So anything, DJ, interesting happened in the, the last few days for you outside of the NFL? Well, Colm, we always talk on the show during the off-season a bit how we spent our Sundays getting over the withdrawal symptoms from last season and the excitement looking forward to this season. I spent my weekend and my Sunday watching our soccer team, as our, our American fans call them, and that's Arsenal. They were playing in the Emirates Cup. It was an interesting weekend. There should have been a few booth reviews if you could have them. But <laughs> yeah, i seen that one. There's none in soccer, but let's say the fans were not very happy, even though it was only a pre-season friendly but i got quite a lot of followers this weekend colin thanks to arsenal who retweeted one of my tweets so a big shout out to whoever the person in arsenal's social media team retweeted my tweet yeah just before we come on the show dj told me about that i thought it was very interesting and uh, an interesting way of getting some new followers but as we both support arsenal uh, it was interesting to see them back on the field with some friendly action coming up next week now the community shield will be coming up now and they'll be into the premier league but dj were spent in ways of uh, moving our Sundays along and we're coming up really really close to the NFL season and we actually had a football match this weekend DJ so NFL is back in our lives on the actual football pitch rather than just talking about it on the airwaves. Yeah Colin the Hall of Fame game was on this weekend New York Giants getting a victory over the Buffalo Bills 17-13. Yeah DJ and before the game one of the things I noted was Hall of Famer Harry Carlson former OTI podcast guest down there with Jim Kelly for the official coin toss ceremony Jim Kelly representing the Bills of course Jim Kelly is a Hall of Famer in his own right and wish him all the best in his recovery from his illness at the moment and he seemed to be in good enough spirits both at the enshrinement ceremony and at the game but Harry Carlson down there representing the New York Giants and we had him on the podcast a few months back anyone who's new to the show be sure and go back and check that out it was great to talk to him about all the things that happened in his career including getting into the NFL Hall of Fame but the game, DJ, you mentioned, obviously, it's just a kind of glorified pre-season game, but being the first pre-season game on the cards, it was good to get some action back on and really kick-start us into the NFL season as it goes forward now. And a few interesting things to come out of it. Eli Manning was efficient enough, uh, completed over 70% of his passes and had only played a few series for the Giants and luck to be kind of well over that ankle surgery he had this off-season. The Bills, on the other hand, EJ Manuel seemed to be... You know, struggling a little bit, getting that rapport. His accuracy was a bit off. Good few passes batted down for him. But you mentioned the final score, 17-13. There was a few of the kind of fringe players were the players for the Giants that made their mark, including Corey Washington, wide receiver, got a 73-yard touchdown to kind of seal the game for them from quarterback Ryan Nassib. And he was taken in in last year's draft. So kind of the backup there to Eli Manning. And 
getting a getting a touchdown on the board for them. Yeah, Eli Manning was more notable for getting a fumble in this game, Colin, probably than anything else he done, but it was clear that the New York Giants are moving into playing the ball to their running backs rather than wide receivers. Yeah, it's just a movement they're trying to get into. Obviously, McAdoo went over from the, the Packers, one of the coordinators of the Packers for the last number of years, going over there now for offensive coordinator with the New York Giants. And you can know, you see the screen game quite considerably used in the Packers offense, and it's something that he's going to try and get in there now. So they were getting a nice fluidity with that yesterday with Manning passing to Rashid Jennings in particular. And, you know, I, I thought it was uh, impressive for the first time out trying it on, on the NFL gridiron. But Andre Williams playing at running back as well also kind of provided a little bit of spark for them, got a touchdown for himself. And I thought he was quite impressive, so maybe one to look out for in the upcoming fantasy draft. Maybe a sleeper there behind Rashid Jennings after the kind of another injury to David Wilson, who unfortunately could rule him out of the picture this season and his future in the NFL is in doubt but we'll be talking a little bit later in the show to about fantasy football so maybe we'll have to keep an eye on Andre Williams as we get closer to the season fourth round draft pick for the Giants this year you mentioned that fumble DJ good work both by Kyle Williams who got the strip sack and then the fumble was recovered for the Bills but another interesting thing I was looking to keep a keen eye on was Sammy Watkins who was actually held without a catch in this but ran some good routes and some of the balls maybe just slightly overthrown or things of that nature but overall looked impressive his, you can see his physical size when he's under he's quick he's you know he's very athletic and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do but unfortunately for him it'll maybe EJ Manuel just won't be the quarterback to to spark him into life in the NFL we'll see what happens on that one and last but not least DJ. Another interesting point was the 33-yard extra point attempts. You know, they're moving them back for the first two preseason games this year and, you know, trying to make it a little bit tougher to score those extra points. But Josh Brown and Dan Carpenter, the three attempts between them and all three were successful. So maybe it, uh, maybe it won't make too much of a difference overall. And they've also moved the uprights five feet higher. So, you know, a little bit of a difference there too. Trying to make it a little bit harder. But I suppose it will make it harder if it goes into the NFL season. But... On a short-term basis, I don't know how much of an effect it's going to have. So that was kind of the NFL Hall of Fame game. There was just a couple of bits and pieces to take away from that. And there'll be more to talk about as we get into these preseason games coming up in the next few weeks. And looking forward to it. But DJ, we'll go in now to the OTI Red Zone. And we'll be joined by our guest, JJ Burden. The OTI Red Zone, presented by OvertimeIreland.com. Joined back on the podcast now for a second time. It's his second appearance on the show and we're delighted to have him on. It's J.J. Burden, former NFL wide receiver, played for the Kansas City Chiefs for the majority of his NFL career, finished up with the Atlanta Falcons. J.J., thank you for coming on to take the time to talk to us. Hey, thank you for the invite. It's good to be back and looking forward to the interview. Yeah, it was a lot of fun the last time we had you on and uh, really looking forward to getting into it here and having some questions about the NFL. It was a lot of fun the last time. Yeah, it sure was, and it seems like there's a lot of exciting things happening going into the <laughs> NFL season. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. And JJ, just to start off, uh, you started doing video blogs uh, a while back, and it was kind of giving insight into playing in the NFL. You were, you know, they were titled what it's like to play in the NFL, so obviously it was what it was geared in mind with. But what was the motivational factors behind that, and how did that go for you? Yeah, great question. You know, I just listening to a lot of people interpret what happens in the NFL and what's happening behind the scenes. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot of really good uh, former players that do a really good job of articulating that on some of the different um, shows, like obviously ESPN and Fox Sports and so forth. But I wanted to kind of give another impression of someone who's not on the screen and that can give their own impression of, of what it's like. And being I was there for nine years, I thought I'd kind of, 
you know, be a little more open about what really happens on the inside. Because the reality is nobody really knows, not even the reporters, unless you are a player and you are in the locker rooms, you're in the meetings, you're in the trenches, do you really truly know what happens? Yeah, it's great. And that's one of the main reasons that I really enjoyed watching them and recommend for the listeners to go and check them out. They're all up on YouTube and you can get them all through JJ's Twitter handle. But, you know, you mentioned there, if you're not involved, you don't really know. And, you know, I, I find that there's one of the podcasts I'm a big fan of over in America, and it's the Ross Tucker football podcast. Ross played on the NFL himself, and he often comes up with little bits of nuggets and information that, you know, you don't hear everyone else talking about. So some of the analysts, you know, maybe never played the game, and getting the insight from an NFL player is uh, really, really great, and that's one of the things we love getting players on to talk about here on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate that because, you know, I know some of the fans don't like some of the commentators and all that, but I tell you, I respect the commentators, obviously, that haven't played, but the ones that played, when when I'm listening to them, I can always, you know, I can always connect with them more because they're sharing little tidbits on what happens on the inside. So it, it's really neat for the fans to have that opportunity to see what it's like. We're in training camp now, and, you know, you're involved in a number of training camps, many of them throughout your career. You describe training camp in one of those videos as a five-week job interview. As your career progressed, did this job interview get any easier and... You know, is that the best description you have, that it is a, a job interview? You're fighting for your place on that roster? Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because your career, your your uh, your training camp career kind of goes through different phases. Um, obviously, if you're the superstar first-round draft choice, you know, you have a bit of an advantage. But yeah. for the most guys, early on in your career, you're, you're trying to make a name. You're trying to fight your way through it and, and be noticed. And um, I was a free agent. And I had come off a knee injury, so I was virtually a no-name going into my third year. So I really had to, you know, be that overachiever. Really had to stand out, try to make no mistakes if possible, and give them a reason to remember me. And that was kind of always my goal early on was that when the coaches sat down at night and watched the practice film, I wanted them to continue to see me popping up, having positive plays so that, you know, they would just have to notice me. And so... Then when I became a starter, you know, for the last five years of my career, then it was a little different. Then it was more about training camp was more about getting ready for the regular season. Um, Unless you just had a horrific training camp. I mean, you pretty much were going to be on the team. You're going to be on the starting roster. So it was more about, you know, getting ready for the season, getting the timing ready with the quarterbacks and the offense and just physically being ready to play. And um, and it's interesting, too, because my last year, when I retired in, 90, in the, my ninth year, I started thinking about the 10th year, and I thought, okay, I think the 10th year is going to be a little different for me. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the veteran guy, supposed to make good money, and I think, I'm not sure if they're going to allow me to make the – it just, you know, I kind of felt different about the 10th year, and I thought, you know what, I don't need it. It's time to walk away. So uh, it's just interesting how you go through different phases through the training camps through your career. Yeah, like a cycle, and it's interesting you said that there, maybe that you just, you know, towards the end, you do hear about players, you know, holding out, they're looking to maybe renegotiate the contract, and you hear about the salary cap coming into next season, Andre Johnson's a key kind of aspect of that, and him playing the wide receiver position as well, he has a lot of money against the cap next year, and maybe the Texans will let him go, and I think that's one of the reasons he was holding out. Just for the listeners, uh, JJ, I should have probably mentioned this at the start, you mentioned the first two training camps, you were, you were drafted by the Cleveland Browns in 88, and you were kind of with them on the practice squad, so on. Same with the Dallas Cowboys, and then you you really made your breakthrough with the Kansas City Chiefs. So that's kind of why you were saying about the the different 
pre-seasons that you had you were kind of trying to make it into the league and then after that you had a number of years where you were starting in the NFL you know you made a number of very interesting points but moving in kind of to players in this role at the moment players say that are maybe not guaranteed the money maybe are just on the bubble we'll call it and how do you think some of them are preparing going into it you know you mentioned as you go through your career the grind everyone talks about the grind going back into the NFL what did you think in your head going into it as you know you're on the bubble how tough is it knowing that any mistake you make could seal your exit from the team it's extremely hard there's a lot of pressure involved there because you know you know that whether you perform your best every play uh, every day there's certain variables you can't control i mean if if you're on the bubble and if you're not that guy that's guaranteed to really be on that team then it's almost a crapshoot because there's elements you can't control. I can remember different parts of my career early on, uh, and particularly when I was in KC, I had a really, really good camp. I was a free agent and all that, and I had a great camp. And there was one guy that was drafted, and he hurt his ankle. And um, But because he was drafted, he had to make the team. And Marty Schottenheimer actually cut me but then said, I'm going to bring you back two weeks later, which he did. So um, there are just different points where you can't control it. And sometimes it's you make too much money. You don't make enough money. You're too old. You're too young. You know, you're somebody's favorite. There's, And I always tell people, I just said, you know what? You just work hard. Don't give them a reason to cut you. And just hope that they hang on to you. But if they don't and you perform well in the, in the preseason, you have a shot of getting picked up by another team. You mentioned there Marty Schottenheimer saying that he was going to take you back into the team. That was another thing you pointed out in one of your videos was that, you know, you got a note from the from the team saying that they would take you back uh, a few weeks later. How did that all come about? And did you believe them at the time or did you think it was, you know, something just they were saying to keep you happy? Yeah, well, I actually believed them because I had been cut by the Cleveland Browns. So I knew what that experience was like and the pink slip and they call you in the office and all that. And then my third year in KC, I, I clearly was having a great camp. I, I ran the fastest 40. I was just really having a great camp. And um, But when the last cut came and Marty called me to his office, and as he started to share with me his thoughts and his plans, I believed him because I just, I just, I had too good of a camp. But I knew the politics were kind of involved a little bit, and a drafted player needed to make the team. So um, he just said, hey, I'm going to bring you back in two weeks. But I'll tell you, those two weeks were pretty stressful because I was, newly mar- I was newly married. My wife was pregnant. We didn't have any money hardly at all. So when the second week came, I remember calling Marty and saying, hey, Marty, it's week two. And I had some teams starting to call me. And I said, Marty, I've got to take care of my family. And he said, give me just this weekend. And sure enough, they ended up cutting a veteran player and brought me on on Monday, and the rest was history after that. Yeah, I was going to say those two weeks probably felt like two years to you at that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember working out at the uh, local uh, high school with Brian Barker, who was a punter that played for 16 years, and him and I were cutting. We were at the at the field throwing balls and catching punts, and 
ironically, we both ended up coming back, so it worked out well for us. Yeah, that's another aspect you mentioned there about, um, you know, when you're cut from the team, you're obviously keep working out, keep trying to stay in shape and get wait for your opportunity. There's a lot of players around the National Football League at the moment, whether it be cut, whether it be rookie free agents and so on, still working out, still trying to get an opportunity going into this season. How tough is that to, you know, stay? A lot of, a lot of the NFL, the part that people don't talk about as much is the mental side of it. How tough is that? It, it's really tough because... You know, you spend all offseason preparing to make this team, and then all of a sudden, you know, you get cut for whatever reason, but you know there's a chance you can get picked up. You've got to stay on your game because if you get that call, you, they're calling you not because they want you to slowly get in shape. They're calling you because they want you to play right now. Yeah. So mentally, it's a battle every day knowing that you've got to have the most um, individual, high-intense workouts by yourself so that if you get the call, you're ready. I can tell you, I don't know how many times I saw free agents come in who had that shot, maybe the third or fourth game of the season, they brought them in and they made the team and then they pull a muscle or then they get hurt that week. And then all of a sudden now they're a liability and they end up getting rid of them. So um, you have to be ready for your opportunity. Uh, that's one of your big things is being ready for your opportunity. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. You know, I, you know, I got to plug my book coming up. <laughs> yeah, if you want, you can go ahead and plug it now, or we can plug it at the end. I don't mind either way. Yeah, I'll tell you about it. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm going to be releasing my first book when opportunity knocks. Eight surefire ways to take advantage, and and the whole premise around the book is is emphasizing the point that no matter who we are. No matter what our background is, our situation, we all have opportunities in life. So the question is, do we seize them? And then when we seize them, do we really take advantage of them? And I, and I feel that at 5'10", 160 pounds, playing in the big man's game, I got a lot of great stories and lessons. I think that I can really um, encourage and motivate people to take advantage of their opportunities no matter where they are in life. So so things are going really good. I've, I've finished the draft. I'm working with my editor. I'm working on the revision. So I'm aiming for a release during the football season. Yeah, it should be good when it comes out. Uh, looking forward to getting to read a little bit of it. And, you know, we talked uh, there now about training camp, what goes on in training camp. We'll move a little bit now into being on the field. Say now you've made the team, you're on the roster. Your quarterback and your time at the Chiefs was Joe Montana. Let's say Joe takes you up into the huddle. You go up, he calls the play. Take us from the play, maybe up to the line of scrimmage, and then until you catch that touchdown in the end zone. This is a great question because this is an upcoming video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you know, and it's the part that people don't really realize what happens because when you're in the huddle and, and Joe says, ready, set, you know, and we, he gives us the play. And these plays are pretty long and drawn out, but you, you're having to lock in and pay attention on which part affects you because uh, they're telling everybody what to do. And once you figure out your assignment, you start jogging to the line. And in the middle, uh, during the time you jog from the huddle to the line, there's a lot of things going in your head. You're thinking about, okay, what's my assignment first? What is, what's the depth? Okay, this is what I'm going to do. Now, what if the defense is playing this way? Now you're starting to think, what's the alternate route? And while you're doing that, you're scanning the defense really quick to see what coverage they're in. And then you're always looking at the linebacker and the, and the inside uh, DB because if an extra guy comes, you got to cut off your route because it's a blitz. And then Montana changes the play. <laughs> so now when he changes the play, you instantly have to know what the new route is. And you go through that same progression. 
And this is the part of the game that many people don't realize is the deal breaker because you've got so many great athletes out there. Everybody's an All-American. Everyone is fast. They're strong, you know. But it's the mental part of the game that separates the pros, the guys who make it and the guys don't, that don't. And your ability to make split-second decisions, you know, and produce positive plays, it's really the difference in the game. And, and sometimes I wish that people could, you know, they could be in our meetings and they could see the all the formations and plays we have to memorize and just be there in the huddle. It's It's pretty fascinating. See, uh, when you're talking about it, you're talking about your right, uh, the part off the play he calls out, says X receiver. What happens? Mm-hmm. Uh, have you gone up to the line any times and, you know, he calls the play and you've gone blowing the right, gone the wrong way? I'm, yeah, you know, I, I can proudly say that I did not have a lot of mental errors. I mean, obviously we all make mistakes, but I didn't have a lot of them. I mean, that's one of the things that really kept me in the league because – I knew my assignments, I prepared well, and um, I was really good at making those decisions. But yeah, there was definitely times. I can tell you one time, my uh, when I was playing against the Seahawks, it was like my second game as, as a player, and and Steve DeBerg was the quarterback, and he said, if these two guys come, he points them out, and then that means i got to cut off my route, and I run a slant. Well, he points to them. I look, and they came, and I cut off my route, he throws me the ball. I score a 33-yard touchdown. It's my, my first touchdown. The next series, the same thing happens, but I couldn't see the second guy. So I only saw one, so I don't break off my route. Bird gets knocked on his head, and, and I get chewed out in the film session the next day. You know, But that's, that's just how it is. You know, you, you've got to be able to make the right decision at the right time. Yeah, Eli Manning up in New York at a, a lot of plays last year where people were saying, you know, it was his fault. But there's a lot of them too where the wide receivers didn't do their job quite like they should have. But it's part of the mental aspect of the game. And another part, I hadn't even this down as a, you know, a, a question for you, but you mentioned Joe Montana goes up to the line, he changes the play. We've seen that a hell of a lot last season with Peyton Manning. A lot of similarities there. But uh, how tough is it then when you're at the line, the stadium's loud. Say now you're up in Seattle at the Seahawks and. I don't think they're going to try and change too many plays, do too many audibles, but let's say they do an audible. It's got to be hard when you're out on the outside to hear that play being called. It is. It, it totally is. I mean, it's when it's so loud, you've got to rely on your hand signals, and then I have to rely on, if I'm outside, I've got to rely on the inside receiver, hoping that they hear it and they can transfer that to me. Uh, because, yeah, the noise factor really does make a difference. And because it's a little hard to concentrate when you got 80,000 people just screaming like crazy. But um, you have to find a way to do it. And as pros, we, we train in, in, um, you know, in situations where they've got the loud radios. They try to simulate it as best as possible. And I, and I had a habit with the hand signals. My wife would work with me like the night before the game, and we would just go over the signals over and over and over because I wanted to get to the point where I don't have to think as much. And as soon as he gives me the hand signal, I know right away what to do. So that's the kind of insight I love to get. Um, it mightn't be the most exciting piece, but it's like, you know, the players and with his wife trying to get, a, get gain an advantage, know what he has to do. And people don't talk about that too often, JJ. That's, uh, that's great to hear. Yeah. Yeah, my wife was... My wife was very instrumental with helping me with the play because they would change them so much and we would add so many and you just want to make sure you know them. And I would have this sheet of paper and, and I'd fold it and my wife would call out the play or she'd call out the signal and, and it became a ritual, especially for the home games. But it made a difference and it made me feel more confident going into game day. 
And uh, you were part of the last Chiefs team that won a playoff game. They had quite a good season last year, but they didn't get a win in the playoffs. Got to be coming up sometime soon. A win for the Chiefs in the playoffs, is it? Yeah, I got to think it's this year. And I'll tell you why, because, yeah, I believe they snuck up on some people last year and they didn't have the most difficult schedule. But I tell you, the power of having a second year with this new coaching staff and their philosophy uh, players, you know, that first year, you're still kind of learning. You're still kind of getting comfortable. But that second year, you pretty much got it down. And there's less thinking and there's more reacting and executing. So I believe the Chiefs will be stronger this year. And I think they will definitely finally get that win. Yeah, you mentioned the second year. I was listening to Philip Rivers during the week. And he was talking about second year under their head coach. And, you know, you start to know the routine. Last year was all kind of guessing. You didn't know how long your lunch break was. You didn't know how long the session was going to be and so on. So now you get that, uh, you know what's happening. And a big change in the NFL last year was Chip Kelly coming in. He really shook things up with the Eagles. And they had a dramatic turnaround last year. But you played at the University of Oregon. And, you know, he was there with the Ducks. And you've got to be watching him for quite some time now. And seeing how he's developed and developing. What have you thought of his transition into the NFL? And I'm sure you're expecting more progression this year from him. Yeah, I've definitely enjoyed watching uh, Chip Kelly. I just, you know, I, I love the fact that he's an innovator. You know, he's someone yeah. that wasn't the norm, and he really showed that uh, his offense could be very successful in college. And so I've been very intrigued to see how he's going to adapt. And I got to applaud Chip because – Many people predicted that, hey, he was going to try to run the same offense and all that. But, you know, he's adapted it, and he's made some changes to adapt to the NFL, and he's still incorporating some of his stuff. So, once again, that's why this year is going to be pretty – could be pretty impressive for him because his guys are getting more comfortable with the system. He's getting more comfortable knowing that, okay, this is what the defense is going to do. This is what they're going to give you, and this is how we can take advantage of it. So, uh, it's nice to see the former Duck – coach doing well in the nfl yeah i'm sure and uh, i think there's gonna be a lot of things expected of him maybe this year last year the expectations weren't quite as high but he's really done it yeah he's got a chance at again some players now through the draft that maybe he wants in the team and it'll be interesting to see where they go this season just jj you mentioned earlier uh, the book coming out anything else you would want to promote uh, before we finish up well no i always like to let people know that um i am a strong advocate of living the healthy lifestyle um I work with a company called Isogenics, and we really focus on providing solutions, helping people lose weight or improve their energy and performance, healthy aging or wealth creation. So I am all about living the healthy lifestyle. So, But I'm always looking for people that are looking to improve their health and wealth. So just visit me at jjburden.com. Yeah, and you can find JJ on Twitter. It's at jjburden. That's B-I-R-D-E-N. And well worth a follow a lot of interesting stuff always on his handle whether it be football or whether it be as you say maybe about healthy lifestyle or he'll be coming up with those video blogs coming up that you can check them out and see some stories from inside the nfl kind of like what you heard today so a lot of fun having you back on jj and look forward to having you on again down the road yes it's always a pleasure and keep up the good work i really like the content you're sharing take care Hi, this is former NFL offensive lineman Ross Tucker, the host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, and you are listening to the Overtime Island Podcast. Once again, thanks to JJ for coming on. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. A lot of fun talking with him. Some of the interesting things DJ talked about, including when he was uh, playing with the Chiefs trying to get, I was asking him about playing in loud situations, say in Seattle or that, and trying to get the hand signals down between you and the quarterback and so on. He was talking about that he used to practice the mother's wife, particularly before the home games and also for the away games, but doing the hand signals to make sure that he got all of them right and didn't make any mental errors. So it was interesting to talk to him about that. That was something that I thought was uh, 
quite a nice behind the scenes moment. Great points from JJN. Always gives a very good insight into what life was like in the NFL. He was talking to DJ Donna kind of talked us through going from the snap with Joe Montana as his quarterback all the way up to trying to catch the ball after the pass has been thrown. And that was another interesting piece of insight. I think JJ, he does, if you watch his, even his videos on YouTube, I'd highly recommend checking them out. As I mentioned during the interview, check out his YouTube page. And very, very interesting, the stuff that he talks about and gives you more of an insight into the game. And I know a lot of the listeners here also listen to the Ross Tucker podcast, and he gives a lot of insight from being in the dressing room and playing the game as an offensive lineman but I think playing the game as a wide receiver another view that you can get and you can get that from JJ so be sure and check that out hopefully we'll have JJ on in the coming once again to talk a little bit more about the Kansas City Chiefs who he has a very very close relationship with and obviously talking about his time again in the NFL playing wide receiver so DJ we're going now to the NFL News NFL News DJ I guess we'll kick off the news this week we like to kick it off talking about our own teams most weeks and you usually jump in with a bit of Patriots news but some good news for the Packers I guess and then some disappointing news for the Packers and we'll start off with the good news I'm sure and we'll talk about Brett Favre and his jersey will be retired next offseason by the Green Bay Packers he'll also be inducted into the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame at Lambeau Field and that'll be next July a lot of Packers fans probably don't want him and it's still due to the way his Packers career ended he went into retirement came out of retirement played a number more years in the NFL both for the Jets and the Vikings but I think as time has gone on, the kind of the feelings of uh, disappointment might have mellowed in a lot of people, and I think this here's another step towards that. And I think they talked about not doing it this season, so I think now if you announce it now, it gives you another year to kind of calm those fans down, and everyone will come around, and there'll be a more positive reaction to far of Lambeau Field. And you know, I personally, if you look at what he done for the Packers in his career, possibly the greatest quarterback of all time. I think um, he's definitely up there in that top five conversation i think and player that looking back at some of the highlights over the over the last few days when this here rumor was coming around that this will be announced um, just an exceptional player to watch and there's not too many like him in the game today yeah Colin, it's interesting that the packers have come out and announced this now and they're giving those kind of fans basically a year to hopefully settle down it'll be interesting to see what happens and yeah, it seems that way that they're trying to give the you know the ones that maybe would have been booing if he came into Lambo. Maybe they're trying to just give them a year to get to terms with it and have it to be a, a celebratory occasion rather than maybe ten or 15,000 people in Lambo field turning against him. So some devastating news for a fifth-round rookie receiver for the Packers who tore his ACL nuts, Jared Abraderis. Yeah, he came in there, DJ, this year's draft, and there was a lot of kind of promise about him, and he's won... You know, the people from Wisconsin, the you know, the Packers fan base there and around Lambeau Field have been really rooting for him. He played for the Wisconsin Badgers, went to the University of Wisconsin and, you know, he's kind of a hometown boy and they were hoping that he would become a big star in the NFL. But unfortunately for him, it's going to be a year on the back burner, it looks like, towards ACL. And it was kind of, he came out, usually the team confirmed this sort of news, but Jared himself came out and confirmed this over the past few days. So he had a tour in ACL prior in his high school days and came back from it strong and he actually had a broken femur at that time which was a more serious injury so hopefully he'll kind of know the road back and he'll make it back a successful recovery and we'll see him around this time next year trying to make it into the Packers team but looks like he'll be spending the season on injured reserve and disappointing for a young player coming into the league and just uh, hopefully he makes a full recovery because I know listening around all the Packers talk that I'd be listening to there was a lot of a lot of positive thoughts about him through OTAs and training camp so Unfortunate news there for Jared Aberderis and the Green Bay Packers. But th- this is yet another situation which 
raises the question of the pressure that's put on rookies to make NFL teams. Abraderis told reporters on Saturday that he thinks that he actually injured his knee in practice on Wednesday. However, he took part in the entire workout on Thursday and it was then that the tests were done. Yeah, it's an interesting one, DJ, and you hear the players, you know, playing through the pain. Remember we talked a few weeks ago, DJ, about the NFL, the new lawsuit that was coming out about players saying they didn't know the long-term effects of certain painkillers and that that they were given. But when you look now at a situation like this here, Jared was able to play through a a whole practice session with a a torn ACL. And when you're looking at it, you know, obviously he knew that there must have been some sort of pain there after the first day session, but obviously he just thought it was, you know... He's only coming into the NFL. He's probably thinking this is just what it's like until you get acclimatized to it. So picked up that injury, played through it the next day, and unfortunately now it's, maybe he even made it worse. on the Thursday, it's hard to know. But you know, we talked a few weeks ago about playing through the pain and just getting yourself onto the field. And this here's another glimpse into what happens to try and make the roster. You talked about him. He's somebody who was impressing. He came a little bit higher in the draft and. A lot of the, the Packers had big hopes for him, but he'll spend this season on injured reserve. But, you know, if he's a later round pick, say, or even undrafted, maybe somebody who's undrafted doesn't get onto that injured reserve and unfortunately would be cut from the team. So a lot of pressure on these players trying to make it into the roster. And just not just the rookies. Some of the veterans in the league, the likes of Champ Bailey and that, you know, there's a lot of talk coming out about he's struggling with injuries and, you know, his hips not are a bit tight and he might be on the bubble for the, the Saints. And there's lots of players around the league like that. So... It's not just not just those rookies. You have to think about the veterans too, and everyone's trying to make that final 53-man roster. Hi, this is Harry Carson, former New York Giant and Pro Football Hall of Famer. You're listening to Overtime Ireland. DJ, we talked earlier about the, the Giants against the Bills in that Hall of Fame game, and of course, the main thing off that Hall of Fame weekend is the enshrinement ceremony. A lot of players delighted to finally get their spot in Canton this past weekend. Yeah, and history was made at the weekend column when... Ray Guy became the first punter to be enshrined into the NFL Hall of Fame and I'm sure friend of the show Chris Cluey will be delighted with that. Yeah, it was a very interesting punter getting in and I think he deserved it. He was actually a first round draft pick DJ when he was taken. You won't hear too many punters being taken in the first round now off the NFL and a lot of other names going into the Hall of Fame including Michael Strahan who has since made quite a successful name for himself off the field and I was reading about Michael Strahan, you know how they make the busts off the players, you know, to put in the Hall of Fame and Usually the players' mouths close and they request the mouth being closed, but for Strahan, you know, he has such a, a smile and the gap in his teeth is such a prominent place in everyone's image of him. He thought that if his mouth was closed that people mightn't recognise who he was. So I've seen an interesting post on Pro Football Talk about the man that actually does the sculpting off the busts of uh, the NFL players that are about to go into the Hall of Fame and he was saying how tough it is and he hopes that everyone likes the job he done because he had to measure each tooth, measure the gap between the teeth with calipers and all and try and get it as close to resembling Michael Strahan's smile as possible. So Strahan got his wish and, and hopefully he likes how the, the bus came out that'll sit in Canton. Yeah, Colin, there's a number of people went into the Hall of Fame this week. Derek Brooks, linebacker, played with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from 1995 to 2008. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal player, DJ, and arguably one of the best ever play that position in of course, being one of the best, he's now deserving to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, first ballad, absolutely terrific, terrific leader on the field. And we talked easy to Javon Hay a number of times in the show as well. He always talked about the best leader he ever played with was Derek Brooks and talked about him, you know, and compared him to Ray Lewis and actually thought that he was the role model for Ray Lewis and how he went on to be a leader for the Baltimore Ravens. So speaking of both playing ability and the ability to lead a team into battle in the NFL field I think Derek Brooks is definitely 
definitely deserving of this honour. Yeah, Colin, there's a number of defensive players making it into the Hall of Fame tackle Walter Jones, Claude Humphrey, defensive end, and, as you mentioned, Michael Strahan. Yeah, and just DJ, when you're on the point of Michael Strahan, I've seen that he paid tribute to Lawrence Taylor, former giant as well, who's also in the Hall of Fame. And over the past week, Donica Brennan wrote a great article on the website, djovertimeireland.com, about Lawrence Taylor, his career, and some of the struggles he's had both on and off the field. And very, very interesting piece. I posted it up over the weekend, and anyone that hasn't had a chance to read it, be sure and check it out. Really, really covered his career and his off the field issues and that in great detail. So check that out in overtimeireland.com. Great article there by Donica Brennan. And Anyone interested in writing on the site, as always, hit us up on overtimeireland at gmail.com. Let us know your interest and only too happy to let people have a platform to do their writing on the NFL. And the site is going through an upgrade at the moment and we hope to have it finalised in the next week or two. It's going to be more accessible on mobile and tablet and everything so you can get it in your iPad while you're watching the game and you'll be able to listen to the show on the Overtime Ireland site rather than have to go to a separate site to listen to it. So looking forward to sharing that with you. So that's overtimeireland.com. And call the final two players in our roundup of the Hall of Fame, and that is cornerback and safety Aeneas Williams. Cornerback's a position we've been talking about a lot on the show recently, thanks to the Patriots' two awesome cornerbacks. <laughs> uh, DJ, you got it this far into the show without mentioning the Patriots, so I think that must be a new record here in Overtime Ireland, but mentioning the Patriots in there again and you mentioned cornerback will be talking with Rob very shortly but a cornerback's contract that just came up there and that's Patrick Peterson so getting him on the show in the next few minutes the last person inducted into this Hall of Fame in 2014 was Andre Reid he was inducted in by Jim Kelly his quarterback for the time that he was in Buffalo and you look at the spell he had in the league he had a couple of years there where he was just putting up ridiculous numbers with the Buffalo Bills that Bills team got to the Super Bowl on a number of occasions and just didn't get over the line unfortunately for them probably the best team to never win a Super Bowl I think it was four times DJ that team that he was part of made it to the Super Bowl and didn't win it so tough for Buffalo and you see now they've moved on they've Sammy Watkins maybe Sammy Watkins if he can replicate half of the form that Andre Reid showed while he was in Buffalo I think uh, the Buffalo Bills fans will be delighted with it so a great career by Andre Reid and topping it all off with a well deserved honour in the Hall of Fame I mentioned that those history made with Ray Guy being the first punter into the Hall of Fame and also during the Hall of Fame game in Canton this week, thanks to a partnership with Microsoft, the NFL is now providing teams with a number of Microsoft Surface tablets that they can transmit still photos from the top of the stadium to the sideline, eliminating the need for the use of printed photos and notebooks. So it's going to be very handy. So it's going to be interesting to see it being used more in the NFL now. Yeah, and I think, DJ, with the you know the development of technology, it's something that was really only a matter of time before it happened. I've seen them using it in that Hall of Fame game, and it's something I think will help the teams You know, usually. Like, they have the playbooks, DJ, now on tablets and that, so I don't see why they don't have this on tablets as well. Rather than carrying around a big folder, carrying around a big book and flicking through pages, you can just slot it up there on your screen, move it about with your fingers and so on, and t- show the players the actual visualization of it rather than having to change pages and so on so it's a lot easier I think to get the information through to the players and I think it's going to be something that will help benefit these teams the refs also DJ were wireless earpieces for the first time to try and get some more conversation between them rather than having to meet up in huddles and so on so a lot of little bits going in for the preseason and we'll just remain to see if it's a success whether it'll be used in the future in the actual NFL seasons or whether it'll just be something that's tested and phased back out again. So a lot of different bits and pieces we'll see in the next few weeks in the preseason, specifically those two first preseason games. And we'll see 
what they make of it then when I'm sure they'll have some committees to say if it was a success or a failure for some of these new things that we'll be seeing in the next few weeks. So DJ, them little bits of news mostly around the Hall of Fame and we're going to go in now and talk some of the contract news and some of the possible teams moving, LA teams and so on with Rob Mitchell from Last Word on Sports. So let's go and get Rob on the show now and talk to him about some of the other NFL news that we didn't cover as of yet. Hi, this is Chris Wesley from NFL.com and the Around the League podcast. You're listening to the Overtime Ireland podcast. Joined now on the Overtime Ireland podcast by Rob Mitchell. Rob, you know, he writes over there at Last Word on Sport for our partners. We've mentioned them many, many times on the show, and it's great to get one of their writers on to talk through some of the stuff that you can find on their site. You can find Rob on Twitter himself. It's LWOS Rob, and he does their cost of winning column, looks into kind of financial side of the game, many sports, is including the NFL, obviously, but we're going to be obviously talking NFL today, Rob, and thanks for coming along to talk to us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. First of all, uh, there's a few contracts in the last week that have been renegotiated or changed around slightly. Marshawn Lynch being the big one, and you know he was holding out and trying to get a, a bigger contract from the Seahawks. Uh, you were writing on the Seahawks being right to hold him out last week, and now that they've taken him back, and you know the deal's been slightly uh, renegotiated. What were your thoughts on that? Um, I think it's a very good deal for Seattle. They've moved money about, guaranteed a bit more of his contract. They haven't given him any new money per se. So I think that just shows the depth of their organisation. They've got so many weapons on there. They can say to Marshall Lynch, well, we've got Christine Michael, we've got Percy Harvin, we've got Russell Wilson, if you can hold out, but we're going to move on. We're that, we're that deep. We believe in our guys that much. And I think Lynch realised he didn't have a lot of leverage. and he's, they, They've managed to make a deal that both sides are happy with and it just shows the strength and holding out doesn't always work out for these guys. They need some leverage to do that. But yeah. they'll be the being the number one player at that team that they can't live without, like an Adrian Peterson at Minnesota. But someone in a team that stacked is going to have struggle because they can just say, well, next guy up. Yeah, you mentioned there the depth. You know, the Christine Michael, there's been a lot of talk about him. And it's just uh, interesting that they, they did just take him. He came back in, obviously. But the interesting thing was that he obviously realized he didn't have that leverage. And uh, I think Seattle were happy to stand their ground as long as it went on until Lynch decided to come back. But... I've heard a lot of people saying that maybe he was just happy to miss that first week of training camp. It's the toughest week of the year, obviously, and he's kind of missed his worst week of work at the year. You know, if you could miss your worst week of work, you might take a take a hit as well. And he actually didn't get those fines, you know, that we that are often talked about for missing training camp. So maybe that helped get him back in as well. When you when you when you're on five million yeah dollars a year, it's quite easy to say oh, I can miss a little bit of work. <laughs> a player that had a lot of leverage and obviously got his deal. Uh, restructured quite significantly was uh, Jamal Charge of the Kansas City Chiefs. What were your thoughts on that? Obviously, they kind of took a few minutes to look around how effective he was last year and said, we have to just give him the money. I did compare him in, in the article I wrote because Jamal Charles is the best player at Kansas City on their offense. He, You look at the way he 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 was he led the league in rushing last year, so he's going to be one of the, the big, their biggest weapons they couldn't afford to do without him, especially in the guys they lost in free agency as well. The Chiefs really needed Jamal Charles in camp the whole time. Yeah, that's that is for sure. And you know their offense depends so much on him that if uh, you know he misses three or four weeks off the off training camp, it's really hitting them back. Whether it's his yeah. relationship with Alex Smith or, or just timing of different routes and so on. But moving on now to a few more contracts and the 2011 draft class has started to seal some deals and people thought that they would wait you know with that fifth year option a lot of teams might have waited mm. a little bit longer but we've seen Patrick Peterson of the Cardinals get a, a big contract you know highest paid cornerback now in the league and Tyron Smith of the 
Dallas Cowboys also got a eight-year extension on his contract. So, do you think the rest of this class is going to start lining up behind and hoping to pick up these deals a little bit sooner than expected? Yeah, I think you'll you'll see a few of the teams lock up these guys rather than over the course of the year, rather than wait till you get a holdout situation. Especially guys like JJ Watt who are vital to their franchise, and given the production he's had, you can see him getting a big contract, maybe one of the biggest defensive end contracts in the league wouldn't surprise me at all yeah i'd imagine that jj could be pushing you know almost top money of all time in that position the way he's been productive in his first few years in the league and it'll be very interesting to see what way the texans try and wrap him up but we've seen uh, i was listening to some shows during the week and they were saying that when the first one came out with tyron smith and then patrick peterson a lot of people thought that they would wait out a little bit longer and kind of now once one domino has fallen that they're going to push it all along a lot swifter and maybe the teams wanted these two contracts maybe to sit a little bit longer so they could all sit a little bit longer but now once one has gone players like JJ Watt have that leverage to say hey yeah. negotiate me now well I was listening to someone the other day saying discussing obviously Sherman got his deal earlier in the summer than Peterson and they were, they were debating whether if he'd have got his after Peterson it would have been more so teams will look to get things done quicker because if, if they as you say the more people get the next person up wants even more than that. We've seen this with the quarterbacks. Drew Brees got his deal, and then you're now getting guys like Joe Flacco, Jay Cutler. They're all getting £100 million contracts because they're using that as the benchmark in their negotiations. Very interesting point you made there, you know, doing it a little bit earlier, because we do see that with the quarterbacks, next quarterback up, kept getting more, kept getting more. And we've seen with, yeah. you know, the earlier you can get these deals locked down, sometimes you might have to pay money earlier in the contract, but it'll last a little bit longer. We've seen with Aaron Rodgers a few years back when he was only kind of breaking into the Green Bay team that he got renegotiated and they got a huge chunk of discount in the long term. Yeah. They had to pay more up front and that's kind of what we're saying now. They're going to try and get these guys locked down long term and then the team has yeah. a little bit more leverage going forward and you'll see a lot of these deals that obviously there's huge guaranteed money, but more so that they're getting the guaranteed bonus is what they're getting and then as the years go forward, there'll be some of them certain dates you're on the roster to get them activated, but you see the yeah. likes of Tyron Smith, the eight-year deal. It's a position left tackle doesn't doesn't see too many serious injuries, but eight-year contracts. It's hard to know if you'll be sitting around for the whole eight years there in Dallas. It is, and the guys are going to be looking for more and more guaranteed money because there's always the chance if, there's, if the money's not guaranteed, they get cut. And so when they get to this point, like someone like JJ Watt, who's got the production, he's going to want guaranteed one of the highest paid guaranteed monies of this because he's got the leverage because he's got the production to back it up. There's a lot of, a lot will be said in the coming weeks and we'll probably in the coming months and into the coming years but we'll have to get you on a little bit when maybe JJ Watt gets locked up because that's going to be a contract that's going to have to be broken down quite a bit. It's going to be one that'll be very much in the spotlight and I think out of that class uh, it's arguably going to be the biggest money in guaranteed terms and in overall yeah. dollar terms but Moving away now, talking about money and dollars, I think the thing that's going to cost a lot of dollars is the possibility of a franchise in LA. There's a lot of talk kind of building up in the media over the last few weeks, and an LA franchise seems to be, you know, something that the NFL in particular are pushing for. London seemed to have been talked about a lot in the last few years, but LA has really been ramped up in the last few weeks, and it's something that, uh, only for the financial terms of building the stadium and so on, I think it's something that makes complete sense but you know you're probably looking at around a billion dollars to move a franchise there do you think it's something that will obviously i think it's something that will happen but how do you think it could happen i think it will happen i think it will happen in the next few years as well i don't think it'll be too long because you you've got the teams that are going to move if there's a team that moves to la it'll be a team that needs a stadium so you're looking currently at one of 
two or three teams. You've got the, the Raiders, the Rams and the Chargers are probably the favourites at this point because they all need a new stadium. Yeah. They haven't got long on their leases. So um, I think the Rams with their year are now year to year on their lease because of the developments with the stadium and the and the arbitration they had over there so they could move at a year's notice. Um, the Raiders are obviously look, are looking around for a new stadium. There were reports with them speaking to San Antonio, although I think LA is probably a more likely destination for the Raiders. And the Chargers want a new stadium as well. So it's always always an option for them to, even if you start getting rumours about it, just to try and leverage San Diego. Yeah, it's a, it's a great way to get leverage. And you mentioned there about San Antonio. I think that might be a bit of a smokescreen from the Oakland Raiders. It, but uh, I, I read somewhere that San Antonio was very unlikely to happen. It was... The NFL's Ian Rapport was reporting that Jerry Jones and Bob McNair, the Cowboys and Texas respectively, would try and stop any move to San Antonio because they rely on it so much for the money from the, that area of the state as well. Yeah, to really cut into their market. And with any move in that, you know, you need a certain percentage of the NFL ownership to agree to any move. So that would be two owners shooting that idea down straight yeah. away. And uh, you are a, a New Orleans Saints fan. We'll move in a little bit to the Saints' upcoming season. Uh, Jimmy Graham got locked into a long-term contract, Drew Brees, last year. Is it an exciting season this year for the Saints? There are some key pieces now coming in on defence as well. You know, that was a problem a few years back, but how do you see the season going? I think it could be a very good season for us. I think we've got a lot, as you say, we've got a lot of pieces getting Jimmy Graham's deal locked up was a big win for the Saints in the uh, off-season. Getting him in in time for camp was obviously uh, what they wanted. He's clearly been Drew Brees' favourite target over the last few years. So getting him back in the vault and Thing that's actually exciting me most some of the good young players we've got Kenny Stills came on very well last year at the end of the year we've got Brandon Cooks who we drafted as well who's looked good in camp and could really fill that sort of screen role that the Saints like to do so much that we lost when Darren Sproles went to Philadelphia but also on the on the defensive side of the ball we've got Cameron Jordan had a great season last year and Kenny Vaccaro as well the safety uh, who was last year's first round pick also had a great season so I think there's a great mix of veterans and youth there, and I think we could be uh, challenging at the business end of the season. Yeah, Vicaro was a sensational pick last year and uh, had a fantastic season. And you mentioned in, in the off-season that again Bird as well from the Buffalo Bills, so another key piece there. Mm-hmm. Another piece that again this off-season is Champ Bailey, and he seems to be a player that could be on the bubble coming up here and kind of the, as the roster cuts come along. What do you think with Champ? I think it's going to come down to how his body reacts because the reports coming out he's very stiff and he's struggling with injuries I think if he can is fit enough to play they'll keep him for his veteran leadership whether he starts on whether he starts necessarily or whether it be one of the young guys coming through that starts in his impact but if he if he's struggling there's that many good players that seem to be coming through as youngsters they they won't keep they won't carry somebody that that can't play there's only 53 guys on the roster and you get so many injuries through the year, you don't want to be carrying someone that you can't really be playing week in, week out and relying on. Yeah, two years ago as well, uh, they obviously hadn't Sean Payton for that season. You've seen the effect it took on their season last year's first year back. A real big yeah. pickup. Rob Ryan as well had a real big pickup. So going into this year, I think some of the players maybe that they took in as free agents or draft prospects uh, two years ago without Sean Payton got his first year actually with them last year. So I think you'll see another step forward. Final question on the sense though is we've seen last year again the kind of 
when they're at home in that dome, they're brilliant. When they're outside the dome, it's not quite as good. How do you see them re- reinitiating that this year? Obviously, their last uh, game, well, their second last game last year in the playoffs was against the Philadelphia Eagles away, and uh, they won that game. So maybe that's a, a little turning point for them. I think I think it was. I think yeah, the Saints' struggles on the road have been well documented. I mean, in in the dome, it, it's really hard to go in there and win. It's much like it is, say, Seattle. They've got a great home field advantage. On the road, I think towards the end of the season, you did see things start to change around with the win in Philadelphia. And when we went into Seattle for the second playoff game, the improvement from when the Saints went in earlier in the season where the Seattle Seahawks dealt with the Saints quite handed. It was a much tighter game. I mean, yes, it's playoff football, but the the Saints were in it right till the end there. Um, And Marcus Coulson uh, decided to (laughs) go for that (laughs) role. Yes, that was a uh, interesting decision there. But um, <laughs> I think they, they are working to change that and make that a uh, priority to make sure our performances are as good on the road as they're at home because the only other way to rectify that is to get the number one seed and make everyone come to the Superdome. Yeah, that's a, that's something that I have been talking about in some of the shows recently. I've heard a number of different people talking about it as if they could get that number one seed, which is a distinct possibility with the division that the Seahawks are in. Obviously, they're going to find it tough again getting that record. And <laughs> If they were at home, I think they have a distinct advantage. Obviously, any team obviously at home has a distinct advantage. But for the Saints in particular, I think there is a definite difference in their performances at home over the past few seasons and away. And I think they definitely have a chance of uh, getting that number one spot in the division. I think you know, they're going to definitely be challenging in there with the Seahawks, the Packers and the 49ers yeah. and we'll see who comes out of it on top. It's going to be, it's going to be very interesting in the NFC. The, the NFC is going to be very tight. I think you've got two or three teams in, in each division that could quite easily be a playoff team and even a, one of the seeded teams. I mean, in the North, you've got the Bears, the Lions have, uh, have recruited well as the, to go with the Packers. You've got the whole NFC West are strong. Yeah. The NFC South is very close and as it always is. And even the NFC East, you can never tell who's going to come out of that one strongest. Even when you're looking there at the Saints, you have obviously last year's winners of that division and the the Panthers, who I think will regress yeah. a bit this year. But you also have a lot of people tipping up the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, you know, there's two or three they, they, teams in every division that are really going to be fighting for it. So it's going to be very interesting. I mean, with, with, with the South, you could pick a name out of a hat with the, the who could be the strongest. All four teams are very strong. I can not only Tampa Bay, I think Atlanta will bounce back slightly. Whether they go back to what they were a couple of years ago, you have to see how they react. I think that depends how they react to the loss of Tony Gonzalez. I think he, he was a big leadership yeah. president in that in that locker room. So I think someone needs to step up and fill that void, whether that's Matt Ryan or whether that's somebody else remains to be seen. But if, if they can do that, they'll be challenging as well. So you could have one of, any one of four teams winning that division, really. It's very strong. Yeah, and luckily enough for us now, uh, Rob, as we move really, really close to the season, we've been talking our way through the off-season trying to see who can do what and who can do this and who can do that, but we're really, really close now. The pre-season game's just around the corner and then straight into the season, so not long to wait now to see how things go, football all the way through to the Super Bowl each and every week, so really looking forward to it. And when you're on, we like to talk a little bit about the game over this side of the Atlantic, and obviously we promote a lot of the Irish-American Football Association, but you're playing a bit of the British League with the, the Kent Exiles, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I've, I've been playing for the Kent Exiles this year, so it's, it's been a lot of fun. And the uh, season's still going. We've got still got two games against the Ipswich Cardinals away on the 10th of August and at home on the 17th. So if anyone's in the area, come down. It's always good to have uh, the fans along to watch. Yeah, what position are you playing? 
sometimes I play both sides of the world. I've been playing either running back or linebacker this year. So uh, covering all options are the main yeah. thing. The main things to be making an impact in uh, the British league. Obviously, there's a lot of teams there, and a lot of people listen to the show to play on the team. So it's great to you know see the game growing a huge amount over here and of course over in the UK. And just when we're on the subject. This weekend coming, we've got the Irish American Football Association's kind of Super Bowl, let's call it, it's the Shamrock Bowl, and just want to give a wee plug out to that while we're talking about it, and you can head on over to AmericanFootball.ie to get a lot of information on that, there's tickets on sale for it, and it's happening on the 10th of August at Tallis Stadium, Dublin, it's Trinity College, Dublin, taking on the Belfast Trojans, and both of them have been very successful on their way to the Shamrock Bowl, so be very interesting to see the two of them, you know, two best teams, I think uh, it's fair to say, over this whole season, and if you're on Twitter, go and check out the Irish American Football Association on Twitter. It's at IFA Ireland. That's IFA Ireland. And they'll have more details coming up in the in the next few days as to how you can get tickets to the game and how you can get in to see it. And for those who do go to attend the game, uh, be sure and send your updates into Overtime Ireland. And that is at Overtime Ireland as usual. And just uh, if you buy a programme there, be sure and buy the programme. Tweet us in some pictures because the Overtime Ireland team here will have a page in the magazine promoting Overtime Ireland. So be sure and help promote us while you're at the game. And hopefully you like the advert that we have in the magazine. So another way we're trying to spread the word of Overtime Ireland here. And hopefully all those at the Shamrock Bowl will enjoy the game and enjoy the Overtime Ireland advertisement in the programme. And just the uh, last thing, obviously, to finish up, we do want to forget our pals over at Last Word on Sport, Rob, do we? No, not at all. Make sure you're checking them out on Twitter. It's at Last Word on Sport. And uh, fantastic articles going up there each and every week. And you can follow Rob on Twitter. It's at LWOSRob. So the initials off Last Word on Sport. It's great to, to get some of the people on that are writing the articles because they do have some fantastic articles up there on the site and they keep spreading the word of Overtime Ireland. So thanks again, Rob, for coming on and we'll hopefully get you on to talk a little bit more business in the NFL in the future. For those that do fantasy football, we have a fantasy football Twitter as well for our fantasy football articles and that's at LWS Fantasy. So. I know we're going to talk a little bit of fantasy football on the rest of this show, Rob, so we'll be sure and send them over your way after to check out some of the, the latest news coming in on who they should be picking in the upcoming drafts. Thank you very much. Hey, everybody. I'm Adam Rank of NFL.com and NFL Fantasy Live, and you are listening to Overtime Ireland Football Podcast. Perhaps, nope, I will declare it number one, the greatest podcast out of Ireland so these overall now at this stage we have most of the NFL news covered, just a few injuries maybe to talk about. The Dolphins have had some injury problems in their offensive line and they've signed Simon Satterley to help them at centre because Mike Pouncey's going to be out for a few weeks after that off-season surgery. So a little bit more depth there at centre for the Miami Dolphins. Bad news for the 49ers fans as well as Glenn Dorsey tore his biceps and is likely out for the rest of the season. Plays nose tackle for the 49ers and you know, it's one of those positions where you don't really know what you have until they're missing, and I think it'll be a big miss for the 49ers this offseason. Obviously, it'll be a case of next man up there and see who can step in to fill those shoes, but they are big they are big shoes to fill for the San Francisco 49ers after the loss of Glenn Darcy. Another piece, DJ, off the injury news, and in that there's no Sean Marino signed with the Dolphins this offseason and still looks to be without a timetable for his return for the Dolphins, so... Bad news for him, bad news for the Dolphins. And at the minute, DJ, it looks like there's a distinct possibility that he doesn't make that final roster. It's been a very disappointing off-season for him as he moved from the Broncos to the Miami Dolphins. We'll see what develops with that, but not looking good at the moment for no Sean Marino at the Dolphins. There's a lot of rookies around the NFL now as we get closer to the preseason action, getting a few more snaps at the starting position. And Johnny Manziel's one of those getting a few more snaps, and it looks like he's ramping up his progression for the Cleveland Browns and a few questions come in on Twitter we do our Ask OTI section just a few quick questions this week in it and Brett Lovedy sent in a question to see do you think Chris Westling will be eating his softball pants remember he is on a thing with the ATL that 
if Johnny Manziel doesn't start week one, Brian Hoyer starts that he will eat his softball pants. He ducked it last year. He had last year if the Oakland Raiders got six wins that he would do it, and he was lucky enough there. But you know, a lot of a lot of questions coming in about Chris Wesley and those softball pants. Chris was on the show a few weeks back and talked about it. He said that he was very confident that he wouldn't have to, and it looks now like a distinct possibility that he could. But I mentioned there, Manziel's getting a few more first team snaps, and I think once the preseason starts, I still think we'll see Johnny Manziel start in week one. I think. Uh, if he gets out there, shows what he can do in the preseason. I think between the players, the fans, and the coaches, I think they'll all want to see Johnny start in week one. So probably a 50-50 chance now. And thought a few weeks ago was probably an 80-20 chance, but a little bit more chance of Chris eats those softball pants. But I still think Johnny will start week one. Din, din, diddle, din, diddle, din. DJ, we're going to have to interrupt you there with some breaking news. As just over the Twitter handle and over NFL.com on my app here on the iPad. It's come up some information. It's Andy Dalton has signed a new contract with the Cincinnati Bengals, a six-year contract extension. This was one I didn't see coming, DJ, as we were recording today's show, but have to get it added in there anyway. Ian Rappaport reporting that the contract is six years, worth an estimated $115 million. The guarantees and so on haven't been Disclosed at the time of recording, but looks like it'll have a little bit more than Colin Kaepernick's guaranteed $12.3 million. So, good contract coming out here for Anthony Dalton, but really, DJ, I think what it's showing you is it is the uh, going rate for a quarterback in the NFL at the moment. Yeah, Colin, um, as you say, the news just broke in the last number of minutes, and I was quick on to our official Twitter, at Overtime Ireland, asking the fans what they thought of Andy Dalton's new contract, and Straight away we got a reply from Anthony Quinn in Sligo who described it as ridiculous. He's an 0-3 quarterback in the postseason, still never won crunch game and I'd have let him earn a contract this year. And then Annie Veet, Media 401 on Twitter, she said that Green earned him that amount. LOL, the man's not an elite quarterback so <laughs> she's definitely not an Andy Dalton fan. I think, DJ, that could be the first LOL here that we've uh, mentioned on the podcast, is it? I think it is, Colin. Most of our tweets we get in don't tend to include LOL. Yeah, so OMG at that one. But no, I, I just want to mention that obviously his postseason career hasn't been the greatest. People all, all also point to Peyton Manning's postseason career. But in the regular season, just want to mention in his first three seasons, there's only two quarterbacks that have thrown more touchdowns than Dalton, and that is Peyton Manning and Dan Marino. So in the, po- in the regular season, he has a... He has a stat sheet that stacks up there with anybody else who's played the game at quarterback. But when you're looking at the postseason, he has struggled in each of his occasions that he's got to the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see if he can get them back to the playoffs this year. But in that regular season, he has produced for them. And this year contract, six-year deal, but it's really kind of a three-year contract, which kind of sets him as a starter for the next two years at least. And they'll be looking at hopefully that he progresses in that time to give him the guarantees that'll be in them later years in the contract, maybe renegotiated. But it, as I mentioned earlier, it is the going rate for kind of a young quarterback in the NFL. The minute similar to Kaepernick's deal, I expect the, the final details to be. And I think that it shows what we kind of expected, that he is going to be their quarterback for the next two seasons. I think they do like him. I think there's potential to grow. And as Annie mentioned in her tweet, you know, I have to agree that a lot of this is probably down to AJ Green. But AJ Green's making the catches. Andy Dalton still has to make the throws. And I think the pieces are in place there in Cincinnati. They have the offensive pieces, and the question mark is on the quarterback. But obviously, this will definitely give Andy Dalton a big boost of confidence as he gets this long-term extension and you're looking at the guaranteed and the years in it i mentioned it's a six-year contract i kind of cut it down then to a three-year contract if you look at the guarantees and 
you'll see how he goes in those kind of two to three years to see if he gets it. But any contract, he's 115 million over six years. If he does stay in Cincinnati for them six years, monster contract for Andy Dalton. And, you know, a lot of people were wondering, would he get a contract before the start of the season? I had thought that they kind of might do what the Baltimore Ravens done with Joe Flacco a few years back and let him play out the last year of his contract, see how he gets on and see how they negotiated then. Obviously, Flacco won the Super Bowl that year and got himself a monster contract. But we see here Dalton getting the contract a little bit earlier before the season and hopefully the Bengals will be probably thinking that this will get him extra confidence going into the season and you know the team will have their back into him he should be the leader of that franchise and he is the face of the franchise now with a contract like this so breaking news as we record the podcast but very rapid response there from some of our Twitter followers and getting their thoughts in very quickly onto the podcast usually we don't have that quick of an interaction as we record DJ but this went down quick major news and good to get the interaction so be sure and get in touch with us at Overtime Ireland. You can always get your thoughts to us on any of the topics that we tweet out. Even if we don't tweet out, give us a tweet to let us know your thoughts on anything going on in the NFL as the as the season really starts to get into full mode here at the moment. We'll move along now, DJ, to looking towards the NFL fantasy season. Competition time with OTI. Just before we do the fantasy season, DJ, a lot of people spreading the word off over Time Ireland, and this week we're going to be giving away another OTI t-shirt. We've been giving away some over the off-season. We haven't had given away one in a few weeks. We're going to give you another opportunity this week to get one of those over Time Ireland t-shirts. We have a few competitions coming up to mark the start of the season, some game balls to give away, some Madden games to give away, and a lot of good prizes coming up. But this week, up for grabs is an Overtime Ireland t-shirt, so... All you have to do to enter is spread the word off over Time Ireland. Be sure you're tweeting out, letting people know about the podcast. Retweet our tweets, tweet out about us and from your own Twitter handle and just spread the word in general off over Time Ireland. That'll give you a chance to win one of these Overtime Ireland t-shirts this week. But DJ mentioned we're going to talk a little bit about fantasy football and what I want anyone to know in particular is you have the number one overall pick in our money league with our friends which the draft is coming up in the next few weeks and many people have their drafts coming up in the very near future. You have the number one overall pick in that DJ? Any insight and information into who you may be considering taking? I don't know, I might go with Gino Smith, <laughs> Johnny Manziel, somebody like that in the first round. Or... <laughs> no, it's, it's really hard to know. I've done a number of mock drafts, column and basically picked nearly a different player and a number of them. And, you know, you're just trying to predict what other people are going to do. And there's 12 people in our league now, and it's even more difficult to predict what way people are going to go and what round certain players are going to go in. Yeah, DJ, our draft's a snake draft, and, you know, when you're in a snake draft, if you have the first pick, then you're waiting for the whole of the second round, basically, to finish for you to get your second pick. So there's quite a long wait there between who you take first overall and then all the way back around. But it's interesting. I've done a number of mock drafts over the weekend, and, you know, I thought a lot of leagues would be taking Jamal Charge first overall or LaShawn McCoy, but a lot of people still sticking with Adrian Peterson and taking him first overall, kind of going for that real proven track record and taking AP first overall again I'm picking in that money league I'm picking sixth so I'm kind of in a dilemma between one of the kind of top four or five running backs or if they're all gone looks like I'm going for Calvin Johnson in a lot of leagues so it'll be interesting to see but just then if you take a wide receiver first round do you go running back second round or do you keep going with the wide receiver or so on but a lot of interesting things to look at DJ but it's going to be interesting to see if you give away any information on who you're going to pick your throat out a definite smoke screen there when you mentioned Geno Smith I can't imagine you taking Geno Smith in this year's draft, but maybe you'll pull it out of the bag and surprise everyone uh, that listens to the podcast, and including myself. 
mentioning a lot of stuff about Fantasy DJ. We're hoping to do a kind of fantasy special podcast next week. Adam Rank is on the schedule to come back in to talk to us. So any questions you have for Adam, anything relating to fantasy football, whether it be draft selection, whether it be any sleepers that you're thinking of or who you should take with your first pick in this year's draft, hit us up on OvertimeIreland at gmail.com or get us on the Twitter. It's at OvertimeIreland. Be looking forward to taking that to you next week. I mentioned this upcoming weekend, the Irish American Football Association have their Shamrock Bowl coming up. That'll be on in Dublin. I mentioned details about it earlier, but check them out on Twitter. It's at IFA Ireland, and they'll have more information on that. If you're in the Dublin area this weekend, make sure you go and watch the game. The spread of the game here in Ireland has been terrific, and the Irish American Football Association are doing an absolutely fantastic job at helping it grow. If you get the program while you're down there, be sure and check out our advertisement in it and let us know what you think of the Overtime Ireland advertisement in their match day programme. So, get entering into that chance to win yourself an Overtime Ireland t-shirt. Keep tweeting for Overtime Ireland spreading the word and you could be getting that t-shirt next week. Stay tuned to the Overtime Ireland Twitter feed, that's at Overtime Ireland, and you'll see the new articles going up from our writers in the next few days before our next podcast next Tuesday. Still in the contemplating stages of whether we're going to go one day or two days for the upcoming season let us know your thoughts on that as well we had two week last season so we'll see what happens with that but until that that is me Colm and my co-host DJ and until next week have a good one thank you for listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast please follow us on Twitter at Overtime Ireland Check out OvertimeIreland.com and continue to spread the word. This has been an Overtime Ireland production.